this is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today we're speaking with Matt Shute. Matt is a recent graduate from Indiana University, and he was a millennial participant at CPAC this year. We're going to talk with Matt about his impressions of CPAC. He's been there four times. We're also going to talk with Matt about his political involvement, and we're going to ask Matt, how can Donald Trump win his vote in 2020? You're not going to want to miss this. I'm Gail Trotter, and here's what I think. President Donald Trump has his first address to a joint session of Congress ahead. And what can we expect to see President Trump say to the joint session of Congress, to the American people, and truly to the world? I think he's going to continue to talk about what he talked about on the campaign trail, the idea that he wants to re energize the American dream and make it possible for all Americans. He talks a lot about the forgotten men and women who have been left out of the American dream. He's going to have an appeal to them. He's going to lay out his prescription for fixing the ill health of our American economy. Certainly, we're going to hear him talk about Obamacare and how it's going to be repealed and replaced. We're going to hear him carry on some themes from CPAC. At CPAC, he talked about building up the military again. Count on him in this address to talk about his commitment to rebuild our military, his commitment for veterans and making sure that they have the access to medical care that they need. And you can expect that he's also going to talk about the tax reform that he intends to put forward to re-energize our economy and also the regulatory reform. He has already come out with policies talking about eliminating two regulations for every regulation, new regulation that is proposed. And he's going to call on Congress, particularly the Republicans who hold the majority ship in the House and the Senate, but also the Democrats who have left their constituents without a friend in Washington, D.C. He's going to ask Republicans and Democrats to join with him to fulfill the promises that he made that the American people elected him to go to Washington to fulfill. It's going to be an exciting discussion. It's going to be a great opportunity. And I can tell you people on the right and the left and of no political persuasion cannot wait to see this address because it will be unlike any other address given to a joint session of Congress. Of that, we can be sure. I'm Gail Trotter, and that's what I think. I'd like to thank the Franklin Forum for working to help students gain an appreciation of our democratic principles. You can learn more about them at their website, Prometheum.org. Welcome back to Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. Here's her guest in the hot seat. This is Gail Trotter, and you're listening to Right in D.C. We're speaking with Matt Shute. Matt, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Matt, I understand that you're a recent grad from Indiana University. Is that correct? Yep. 
and you attended the CPAC 2017 event at National Harbor, Maryland this past uh, week. Is that correct? It is. And how did you find yourself at CPAC in the first place? Well, uh, that was my fourth year in a row going. Um, I guess I was, I was officially the uh, the old fart veteran this time because <laughs> I was basically uh, – I had a group of guys who uh, were kind of still wet, wet behind the ears politically, and, and they wanted to experience uh, what it was like. I mean, there was one individual who had – Never been to the nation's capital before, so you know it, it, it was a overall a great time just to just to see them experience all of that for the first time. Um, me personally, I, it, you know, uh, CPAC's always fun, but uh, after going for for a few years, uh, you know, it, it starts to you start to hear the same things uh, get repeated. But I mean, definitely with this year being uh, a year where uh, Republicans have control of, of the vast majority of, of the government. It was definitely interesting to see the, the new angle on everything. And how would you say it compared to the prior three CPACs that you attended? In what way? Was the crowd the same? Was the energy the same? Same type of people attending it? Any vibe that you got that was better or worse than the prior three years? There was a marked difference in the the overall energy and tone, and uh, I, I wouldn't really say in a good way I mean, or a I, bad way. Positive well, you or know, it, uh, you know, I, I guess the first impression is that it was kind of lower energy overall. But I mean, it's easy just to point fingers and say that's a bad thing, but. You, you got to take into account that it's it's no longer a presidential election year or or you know gearing up for one and whenever you have multiple presidential campaigns or soon to be presidential campaigns kind of vying for the attention at CPAC of course you're going to have uh your your different really really excited uh, factions of of young college students and 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 older but still very excited individuals uh clamoring for for attention and and, uh, and to push their their guy or gal, uh, it was, uh, so, so I think that you know raw emotion of the campaign uh, was mostly not there anymore. But uh, it, it was a lot of excitement for you know what they expect Trump to to do in office, what you know, what he's already done so far. Uh, so the, I'd say the overall theme was that I mean, uh, what's next, and, and what, what, where do we go from here? And uh, however, it, it was kind of a, a awkward timing with with Trump being only in office for for 30 days. Uh, there wasn't much to talk about legislatively, or or even in the grand scheme of things, uh, appointment wise, that. Fill a, a bunch of time, so it was mainly excitement and speculation, more more of a pep rally than anything, and uh, so it was it was definitely a, a different energy, uh, uh, a little more subdued, because I think there there was still still some internal ideological battles going on there. Maybe we, we can 
talk about that a little more. But you know, I, yes. I still think it was, a, it was a very good time. How do you think it would have been if Hillary had won the presidential election? Oh goodness! Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it. Uh, I, I I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I mean, I, I I it would be a it would be a conference of extraordinary soul searching, maybe even mm. purging of different factions. Who knows? Right. It would uh, it would not be pretty. Well, you mentioned the divides, the intellectual divides, or the policy divides that the conservative movement is struggling with right now. Uh, I guess for the last eight years, they've been on the outs. So these differences they had probably reflected or revolved around more, how do they overcome the Obama juggernaut? Mm -hmm. But now that they have control of the House and the Senate and the presidency, the time is ripe to move forward on conservative principles and conservative policies. But you mentioned, you hinted at this divide between some of the factions in the conservative movement, let alone the Republican Party. How would you mm -hmm. characterize those differences? Well, in the past, at past CPACs, the, the main divide were your... Uh, I'd say there were three main factions. There were the, the more established Republicans, uh, which tended to be the, the, the smallest faction at CPAC, then the the establishment Reagan conservatives, and then the the Ron Paul Rand Paul uh, libertarian conservative movement. Uh, this year, um, it was it, it was mainly just the a, a, a smaller presence from the establishment conservatives. Mm. But the libertarians, for the most part, didn't didn't come, um, which was unfortunate because I, I, I always I always enjoyed hearing their voice and seeing their energy every year. Do you but mean the libertarians, the, like the the pol the national politicians who are known as being libertarians, or the thought leaders, or do you mean the student libertarians, or both? Uh, all of the above. Actually, I mean, uh, you know, Rand Paul wasn't there this year, nor were uh, the hundreds of people who who supported him um so that was definitely a marked absence this year but the the, the new faction that kind of showed up were, were the, the the trump supporters uh and uh that was more of a an ideologically uh you know populist uh you know the the, the term nationalism is thrown around uh i, I wouldn't call it full nationalist but uh, definitely leaning to that way. So it was it was an interesting dynamic, uh, and economically, it, it I mean there, there are economic questions, especially on the, the question of free trade and, and international trade. That uh, it, it it seemed like the overall theme of CPAC was that it, it is suddenly accepting the the Trump administration view on on international trade matters instead of having a debate over it. And I would have liked to see a, at least a debate over that because, mm. uh, look, should we have tariffs? Should we not have tariffs? Should we have import quotas? I mean, what what should we do about the, the these bad trade deals, as they say? I mean, there are different viewpoints, and, and we all can respect that, but it, it seemed like there was just a an easy transition over to the acceptance of the, of the new administration's uh, economic views instead of 
having a, a discussion over because it's a very important discussion to have. And did you see the swamp monster wandering around CPAC? The swamp monster. Uh, and I don't mean the lobbyists. I mean, there was actually a man dressed up with uh, camouflage and swamp stuff hanging off his head and all the way over his body. You couldn't even really see his face. So I guess you did not see him. Well, you know what? I, I think I did, and I thought it was a ghillie suit thing for <laughs> for snipers or something. I don't know, but it was in passing, so I didn't really think about it. Right, right. Yeah, no, he definitely looked like some military regalia, but uh, I could tell that that's, that was the look that he seemed to be going for. Uh, so any, any other thoughts about CPAC? Uh, do you think that they should continue to hold it at National Harbor? Or it, when you attended the last three, I can't remember when they switched out to National Harbor from uh, in D.C., the Marriott Wardman or some of the other hotels in D.C. Do you think National Harbor is a good place given the size of it, or would you rather see it move back into the city? Uh, it was a, a, every time I've been there, it was a, it's been at National Harbor, and I, I really love National Harbor as a whole. The, the Gaylord Center is amazing. It's, it's, it's large enough to hold everyone, yet small enough where everything is conveniently accessible. Uh, the the entire National Harbor, you know, little resort town as as a whole is incredibly convenient. Uh, yet away from the the traffic and hustle bustle of downtown DC, uh, I think it's a perfect venue. I, I, I mean, it, uh, I when I was in line at five fifteen a.m. to <laughs> to see Trump, uh, you know, wow. part of me thought, well, uh, maybe they should move these huge speeches to a larger venue. Uh, um, but, you know, it, it, most people did get in, most people that wanted to. So I think it's it's perfect where it is. I, I mean, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it, I guess. Great. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you at CPAC 2018. Matt Shute, thank you very much for joining us on Right in D.C. Thank you. I'd like to thank the Gun Owners of America for working to preserve a woman's right to choose to defend herself. You can learn more about them at gunowners.org. Welcome back to Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. Three... Two, one. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. We're continuing our conversation with Matt Shute. Matt, thank you very much for talking with us today. My pleasure. I understand that you're a recent grad from Indiana University, so that makes you probably about 23 to 25 years old. Is that correct? Somewhere in that range? 23. 23. Hey, pretty good. Pretty good. I understand that politics is not a real recent thing for you. You have some experience. You were helping on Governor Pence's reelection campaign before he was swooped up for the vice presidential uh, part of the ticket. Is that correct? Yep. That's correct. It was really a, a unique experience working on, on the campaign in the midst of, of, of his uh, consideration and selection for that slot. It was, it was really a, a, a cool thing to be a part of. 
So did you really like Vice President Pence or did you just want to get some experience? Because sometimes people get into politics and they are not really excited about the candidate. They just hop on to some campaign that they have some, some connection with or it's related to the state that they live in. How did you attach yourself to the Pence reelection effort? Well, um, the, that year, um, I had originally worked incredibly hard for the Ted Cruz presidential campaign. Um, I volunteered as much as I could you know, traveling to different states in my last semester of, uh, of college. And then, uh, especially when the campaign moved to Indiana and kind of reached its you know, last stand, if you will. Uh, mm. the, that was really the, the big campaign where I threw all of my emotion and passion into, uh, uh, and that's what I, you know, uh, that's what I had hoped to be working on full time uh, after graduation. Unfortunately, that that didn't work out. But um, did you think uh, Senator Cruz had a real chance at getting the nomination? Uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 when I when I first joined, I mean, when he when he won Iowa, absolutely, um, and well, I mean. It, it, when things start didn't start to go well down the stretch, uh, I mean, it, it it didn't seem likely near the end there, but we still tried hard because uh, I mean, that's what we thought was right. But you know, nevertheless, that, that didn't work out, and uh, uh, Mike Pence, I mean, it, when it comes to an, an, an individual who, in my mind, is uh, very closely related ideologically to, to Ted and and. Uh, I mean, individual I respect greatly uh, it was I mean it, God really opened the door for me to you know, easily transition to, to start working there uh, after graduation and it was it was really amazing to have the opportunity to, to work for him because uh, I, I'm really passionate about uh, the efforts he took on and so uh, it, it was it was not dispassionately at all but uh, in the manner in which I joined the campaign, it was uh, uh, it was it was a, an opportunity in my mind to uh, instead of kind of being a sore loser about about Ted, right? Uh, to, to to keep working on uh, on that campaign and and hope to hope to advance conservatism. So what do you think the best thing is that you learn from working on the Cruz campaign? Because most people, when they start out in politics, in volunteering or campaigning, they might go to the local parade. They might lick some envelopes for the local city council race. Uh, it's pretty heady stuff to go work on a presidential campaign. And what do you think was the most interesting lesson you took from your time volunteering with the Cruz campaign? Hmm. Um, it. Uh, I, I guess the most important thing I learned was how much you you really can't take your most loyal volunteers or or, or you know any volunteers in general for granted uh, because there are people out there who mm. for 
nothing more than just a sense of duty. We'll, we'll literally do anything for you. And What do you think uh, drives it, people to do that? Because that, that is a level of devotion that generally is reserved for either families or rock bands that people follow across <laughs> the country. Well, uh, I, I don't... Uh, I guess the reasons are, are different for everybody, but um, I, I guess it's it gets down to why people get involved with politics in general. It's it's a sense of uh, I think I think a lot of people specifically who worked on the Cruz campaign or or even the Pence campaign later who were uh, middle aged or older adults, you know. You know, their, their parents or, or their grandparents fought for the country, and uh, almost all of them pointed to, to those individuals as their inspiration, saying, look, look, they put their life on the line for this country. I'm not going to just sit here idle and do nothing uh, and, and, and let the, the country that they would have died for slip away. So. So, so president, in order to, to kind of pay that back, they, they literally put everything on the line as much as they could for the campaigns. So President Trump has said on Twitter that he is mm-hmm. not going to be attending the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And some other people on Twitter who follow these things have pulled up a speech by President Obama at the White House Correspondents' Dinner making fun of Memories Pizza, which, if I recall correctly, was part of the big kerfuffle in Indiana over the religious liberty issue. Did you follow that the story of the pizza in Indiana at all, the pizza sales? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what kind of what do you, what is your take on all that? Certainly when Pence was put on the ticket and he was being criticized by the left for being elevated to such a high position, I think a a real target of opportunity for the left to criticize him on was the Indiana Religious Protection Act. And unfortunately, that also raised some criticism from the right as well, because many people on the right felt like he had betrayed his position in not forcefully standing up for the religious rights of uh, his citizens in Indiana. Do you have any views on that? Uh, you know, uh, when it comes to the the actual issue of of religious freedom uh, in businesses, uh, I think it's really quite a, a commonsensical issue. Um, it, it and and the frustrating thing about having these quote unquote debates with those on the left who who, who criticize allowing business owners to, to make decisions on on who they contract their services out to because that's what it is it, it, it's not it's not service being refused at a restaurant for a, a customer who comes in and wants to eat it's it's refusal of a contracted service which is a much different thing in my mind and and according to judicial precedent uh so it, uh, you know the double standards ad hominem you name it, it, it it is very pervasive in the left and when they and when they address this issue so it seems pretty common sense to me and i don't i don't like to get in the weeds with with the 
the fallacious arguments that they bring up. So when it comes to uh, how that, that idea was implemented uh, with the policies in Indiana and the response to it, uh, look, could the communication have been better? Sure. Could the, could the handling of the, of the PR have been better? Sure. But, you know, from, from being in leadership positions for a good part of my adult life here and throughout my college career, uh, mistakes are going to be made. But, and I, I think, I, I think then governor now, VP Pence would be the first to tell you that he's not perfect, nor is his administration. I think, in large part, that it did they did the best that they could in a, a literal international onslaught, uh, being attacked on all sides. So, right. I'm, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to second guess, uh, you know, how they handle it because if I were in, in their shoes, I wouldn't have handled it perfectly either. So, I think that they were overall faithful and probably would have gone about it a slightly different way if they had another chance, but. You know, that's life, and, and we try, we try to improve as we go along. So I understand you supported Cruz in the primary, and then were, you were not really excited or thrilled about Trump when he was selected as the nominee. What can President Trump do in the next four years that would gain your vote for his reelection? Hmm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I I would. And and this isn't. I mean, he can, he can do all these actions that are good, and but in my mind, if, if they're not backed up with a solid and consistent ideology, uh, it, it it doesn't matter to me because if he if he's taking all these good moves, like the great SCOTUS nominee, I mean, right? Great, but. Uh, it, if it's all based on what he thinks is popular, what he thinks is, is going to help him politically, I mean, who knows what? I mean, he might take a, a, a very damaging view that he, that he, he uh, arrives to via the same method. So I, I would like to see him develop a, a greater understanding and respect for uh, the, the, the constitutional importances uh, behind the founding of this country. I would like to see him develop an ideology. I mean, and I hope that, that uh, Vice President Pence, people like Senator Cruz, are maybe behind the scenes teaching him and, and instructing him and helping him. Um, hopefully the, the presidency shapes uh, Trump. Uh, hopefully it grows him. And, and uh I, I've seen some growth, but if, if, if he's going to really earn my support uh, in a few years, I, I want to see consistency ideologically, and I want to see him focus more on what's best for the country instead of, I mean, quite frankly, his own ego and, and how he looks. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for speaking with us on Right in D.C., and we will plan on checking back with you in 2020 and see if he was able to uh, come up with something that would appeal to you and earn your vote. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Welcome back to Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. Join us as we uncover new ideas.
This is Gail Trotter, and you're listening to Right in D.C. We're continuing our conversation with Matt Shute. There's recent news that former President George W. Bush went on Good Morning America and made some comments that could be seen as critical of the new president, President Trump. Uh, Four of the comments really seem to stand out, but one in particular I want to discuss with you, Matt. the article that I'm reading talks about how Trump has repeatedly lambasted media organizations and termed numerous negative reports, quote, fake news, unquote. Bush applauded the same media that often derided him during his Oval Office tenure. Now, this is a quote from former President George W. Bush. I consider the media to be indispensable to democracy, that we need an independent media to hold people like me to account. Power can be very addictive and it can be corrosive. Matt, what is your reaction to former President George W. Bush, who was, I would say, remarkably quiet during the Obama administration years. He was known for not criticizing President Obama, staying completely out of politics, going so far away from D.C. to back to his uh, ranch in Texas and staying out of a lot of the political currents. I, I guess he came back a little bit to try and help his brother Jeb with some fundraising while Jeb Bush was trying to secure the Republican nomination for president in 2016. Uh, But Matt, what is your impression of first President George W. Bush speaking publicly about current political issues, number one? And secondly, what do you think about his particular criticism, seems like criticism of President Trump, that uh, the media is indispensable to democracy? Well, first of all, you're right. He was really the epitome of class during the Obama administration, and I bet he bit his tongue a number of times, but he said that, you know, he's not the president anymore, and the president needs to focus on on his job. Um, when it comes to his interview this morning, I, I haven't seen it. I, uh, I'm actually planning on, on watching it uh, a little later, but... Uh, without you know seeing without seeing the, the exact question or the body language or, or the context of that quote, it's it's hard to speculate his uh, his motivations behind it. He very well may have been attempting to make a, a general statement about the media without really taking a stance on on Trump. I mean. It, I, I don't think that, that quote in and of itself uh, was an attempt by him to lambast Trump. Now, maybe he agreed to the interview to, to do so, uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to speculate. But, uh, but I, quite honestly, what he said about the media, if you just take that quote in a vacuum, it's true. The, the media is in, indispensable and it helps or at least it should help keep power in check. Of course, the media today is kind of uh, departed from that, uh, while being very tough on the Trump administration, while it it was not very tough on the Obama administration at all. Right. Uh, But uh, if 
if if the Trump administration is, or even Fox News, if, if they're taking that quote and immediately calling it an attack on Trump, well, the quote well, itself is, actually, is Matt, a good thing. I mean, who knows? Matt, let me give you a little bit more that he said. Maybe this will yeah, influence your opinion on this. He also apparently said... One of the things I spent a lot of time doing was trying to convince a person like Vladimir Putin, for example, to accept the notion of an independent press. Bush cautioned that, quote, it's kind of hard to tell others to have an independent free press and we're not willing to have one ourselves. Do you think that's a fair criticism of the Trump administration that they're not willing to have an independent free press? Or is that a little overstated? Uh, I yeah, I guess it's a it's a bit overstated. Um, I, I I think. The the, the the back and forth between the Trump administration and the press, uh, I think it is at its core uh, a, a clash of egos uh, on both sides. Um, but uh, does this interview really you know, add to? I mean, does it help the, this clash come to a, a conclusion right. of a better press and a and a more open administration? No, I don't really think so. Uh, but um, I mean, it, is it fair? Is it not fair? It, I, I guess it could go, it could go both ways. Um, but I just I just think this is another thing that the media is going to use to to further divide the administration from the media, and so the, the end result I think is is worse than where we started. Right, and he's on. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not the. It's the NBC Today show, not Good Morning America. But he also, Bush also said, I am for an immigration policy that's welcoming and upholds the law, which is fascinating because that could be seen as a swipe at President Obama's administration because they did not uphold the law. And in fact, he put in many executive orders specifically to erase the law to change what had been passed by Congress and signed by presidents. Uh, President Mm -hmm. Obama certainly was not upholding immigration law and immigration policy. Uh, And so what what do you think that George W. Bush meant by that? It it was seen in the it was said in the context of a discussion about the what the press likes to refer to as the Muslim ban, but in reality is a travel pause. Did, did he say that quote in response to a question about the this Muslim ban, quote-unquote? Right. He was specifically asked about the executive order to temporarily restrict travel from seven predominantly Muslim countries. And okay. it seems like this was the uh, response that George W. Bush gave to Matt Lauer. Well, but that seems like a... Uh, 
that, that seems like a Bush trying to avoid really getting into it. Uh, and, and he, he, he kind of used a platitude that, that a lot of conservatives use. I mean, Trump kind of used it. I remember Trump saying during the campaign that he wants to build a big wall, but he wants a big door in that wall. <laughs> right. Uh, which said, you know, we, we want a welcoming legal immigration system, uh, but we want to enforce the laws. I mean, so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think Bush was really going after anyone in particular there. I think he was just kind of saying a platitude to avoid getting into a sticky mess that he couldn't get out of. Well, Matt Lauer pushed a little bit further on this issue of the travel pause or the Muslim uh-huh. ban, as they like to call it, and asked Bush how Trump's policies conflicted with Bush's warm White House rhetoric directed towards Muslims. And President Bush responded, quote, I think it's very important for all of us to recognize one of our great strengths is for people to be able to worship the way they want or not worship at all. A bedrock of our freedom is the right to worship freely. And do you think this was a dodge of the question that Matt Lauer was posing as well, or do you think this was a veiled criticism towards President Trump? Yeah, I, I think it was a another, I, I guess you could use the word dodge, but uh, I, I think that that's Bush again uh, doing his best to show the same kind of class that, because even in, in the Obama, when he was questioned about things during the Obama administration, uh, Bush wouldn't avoid from saying these kind of things. He, he would still talk about uh, the values that, that he uh, that he held dear, but he wouldn't directly uh, say anything bad about President Obama. Here, uh, you know, he's saying he's saying what, what, what he had always said about uh, Muslims worshiping and, and any religion worshiping, and uh, that is a core value of the country. And I, I don't think that that's a, a swipe at, at Trump because Trump has never said that he doesn't want Muslims to be able to worship freely in the country. That uh, this 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 temporary travel pause has nothing to do with religious freedom it, uh, when it comes to practicing your religion in the country. It has everything to do with national security. So I'll give you a quick memory quiz on right in D.C. How old were you when 9-11 occurred? I was... Um, Mental seven. math. Seven. Seven, seven years Almost old. eight. Almost eight. And do you have a memory of that day at seven years old? Photographically. Uh, I remember every single part of that day, and I was homeschooled uh, at the time, so... The, the vast majority of my peers did not see it at all. And I saw everything on, on the TV. I saw uh, I saw my, my mother's reaction to everything. I saw my father's reaction to everything. Uh, and at the time, I didn't really understand the enormity of it, but it, it, it really has... Uh, that witnessing all of that just kind of firsthand uh, on the TV, of course, it, it, that was a defining moment. I mean, it was a, it was a defining moment for all of us. Uh, so I'm nothing special when it comes to that. But uh, it, it it's definitely something that every year I uh, I think about and. Uh, 
it's kind of a, a time to refocus myself on what's important. And uh, but yes, uh, I have a strong memory of, of that day, and and I, I hope that memory stays strong because uh, while it was a horrible event. Um, if, if we're going to prevent it from happening again or, or prevent the country from uh, you know, declining in other ways and, and having those people die in vain, uh, we need to remember it and, and we need to, we can't shy away from the emotions of that day. Uh, it's good to feel grief, but yeah, if it answers your question. Do you feel like that event and the memory of that event figures into the politics of people in your age group and do you talk about it with people in your age group I try to uh, it, it, it is kind of frustrating to be honest with you just because the, the vast majority of people my age were unable to, to see it to the degree that I did so I mean yeah they still uh, you know they still feel bad about it but it's hard to kind of relate. That did change, though, when I went to college and in my fraternity, that there were a number of uh, New Yorkers in my fraternity. Ah, and, well, yes. and, and, and I mean, these are kids who went to school blocks away from the World Trade Center, kids who you know, live in Long Island, and, and, and you know, it was typical for a, a number of people from their block that, to die, um, so uh, it, it, it's it was really kind of uh, a, a cathartic experience to be to be able to meet with them and, and speak with them over the years about that. But uh, I think it, it politically, I think nine eleven invokes a, a strong emotional response in people, as it should. Um, and it, it does drive people to action politically. Uh, but unfortunately, because of our education system, which is going down an entirely different rabbit hole, but because of that, it, uh, a lot of millennials have a bunch of drive. They have a bunch of willingness and energy and, and, and passion to, to go and, and tackle issues. But because they haven't been fully prepared by the education system on how to do so or, or how to understand the Constitution in the correct manner, uh, you, you see a lot of misguided emotion. And, you know, because of that, you, you see the whole burning movement pop up. And so it, it's disappointing, but, but hopefully, uh, little by little, we can improve that. And, and I know the millennial generation one day is going to just. Uh, dominate the political spectrum for better or for worse so let's hope uh, for better yeah let's, <laughs> let's hope for that too matt thank you very much for joining us today on right in dc thank you very much for having me appreciate it music provided by local band trio caliente Visit their website, TrioCaliente.com, or sample their music on iTunes. We also want to give a special thank you to Hillsdale College. We are recording today's podcast at the Kirby Center on Capitol Hill. 
Hillsdale College is located in South Central Michigan, and you can learn more about the college at hillsdalecollege.edu. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and hear me every week on iTunes. This is Gail Trotter, right in D.C.